Ahoy there, meat suits! Welcome back to Read and Weep Season 5, Kevin Bacon's <laughs> Exquisite Corpse. We are four underwater explorers and friends who are playing a very long game about movies. Um, I'm your host, Alex Falcone, recording as always from North Koreatown, Los, Los Angeles, and this is my crew. First up, he's at Anthony Lopez, part two on Twitter. He's in Southeast Portland. He's our engineer, calm, collected, German. It's Anthony Lopez. Don't point guns at him, Alex. He's an unpaid intern. <laughs> uh, I liked the interns. Um, also yeah. joining us, he's at Hunbun on Letterboxd from the woods of Brooklyn. He is one of seven marine science students from the University of North Alaska, accompanying us as unpaid interns in exchange for school credit. It's Hunter Donaldson. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I'm I, no. I won't be the topless one. I'm topless, and I don't think we should be going this way. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, yeah. The uh, I, I'm casual nudity. I am. I am casual just, nudity. That's me. Just to have something to look at, I guess. That was weird. Um, and I, Ezra had to back out at the last moment because he has a he has a sick kid and or was captured by pir- pirates. But if he had been here, I would have said. He's a stooge sent by our bond company to make sure they get their investment back. Oh, the best mm-hmm. character. Uh, mm-hmm. That one, Best jokes. Yeah, very good. Um, as, yeah, Ezra's kid is sick with um, non-COVID, which is still a bummer, it turns out. You can just get normal-ass sick, ruin everybody around you's lives. Um, that's what he's at. He'll be back next week, hopefully. Um, before we start the show... Next, next time you see that kid, make sure you tell him you've ruined everybody's lives. Well, he's a kid. He knows yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, even if your parents are still together, it's still it's your fault they're unhappy. All right. Um, oh yeah. The uh, <laughs> it's actually his daughter. Um, be, be, before we start, though, I want to thank uh, a couple of our or all of our meat buddies, all our fabulous meat buddies, who whose bridge funding is that what it was called? Bridge financing. What was the thing that uh, that his that Owen Wilson did? I don't. Know. I don't have no idea what you're talking about. You mean when fly he a helicopter poorly? No, there's like it was a kind of it was a movie financial term. I thought it was bridge yeah. financing, where you like mm-hmm. get get some money and then they it gets enough to per, get the bond. Anyway, hey, um, how do we know we're only all in show business? So <laughs> we, we know any of these terms. Uh, all our fabulous meat buddies who provide bridge financing to keep this show limping down the tracks. You can join them by going to metreon.com and we really appreciate everybody who supports the show. We've had a couple of recent meat buddies who have not responded to my survey yet, so we haven't been able to do a segment for them. But if you so if you have donated and go ahead and check your spam folder in case you got a, an email from me. But also, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And why did you do it? All right. Um segment one today, the news First, a bit of personal news. Um, I want to give you guys an update because we talked several episodes ago. We watched uh, That Thing You Do and talked about my album recording. My debut stand-up album, Vanilla, will be released on February 11th. Whoa. We're a couple weeks away. It's happening very soon. I'm very excited about it. I'll tell you guys more about it as we get closer. I am going to have an online record release show on Wednesday, February 9th at 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. on the East Coast. In the middle of the night in europe probably hang out with me online and um if you i I don't know if i told you this but if you if you like do if you sell like seven copies of the record the date on the day it airs you the day it drops you you get to be the top of the itunes charts because no Mm -hmm. one buys records especially comedy records so i'm just gonna need you guys to rally around it we'll get you there people at home even though it doesn't make sense to buy things anymore um buy a couple of copies of it and and 
let's get that sweet iTunes ranking so I can yeah, brag about a lot it forever. Of- a lot of pressure to do material that's obviously not on the album at this release party because you don't want to double up, right? You can't, you can't so, be like, "Hey, I'm going to give you some of this comedy for free." Right. Now I want you to buy the same exact comedy. Well, I think if you pay, if you pay to come to the record release show and you get the album, wouldn't you also want to see me do that same the same jokes like worse over Zoom? Yeah, isn't that why that's you're there? Good, is you're like, I just want the point. same. That's all. I, I want this want. album out of order and slower. Yeah. <laughs> Are you scared um, I, that anyone's going to be like, God, I hate when he plays stuff off the new album. Play the <laughs> classics, Alex. I I mean, if I had a lot of fans, I would say like as part of the release, I will do, you know, the three jokes that get the most votes for your favorite jokes. But mm. no one knows. So I can't do it. No one cares. But mm. I, the, I also have not written a lot since I finished this album. So I don't have Great. a lot of new stuff to do because we've all been kind of not doing stand up as much. Yeah. Mm. So, um. I have a few new things, uh, but it's yeah, it'll it'll probably be a mix of both. Mm-hmm. And I have some stuff that was not good enough to make it to the record, so I can do that. Nice, so, oh, perfect. Yeah, the B sides and rarities. Exactly. I like it. You know, that's what I'm gonna. You're do. just gonna be yeah. a B sides comic for about a year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, our friend uh, Shane Torres, when he released his first record, I, I did a show with him right after, and he was like, "Just so you guys know, I finished an album, so this is gonna be my new hour, and you can tell." Mm. <laughs> That's so. This is just going to be the loose ends. Um, what are uh, they physically producing for your album? Let's keep on this promotion train. Are they doing? Are you getting like actual vinyl records? Are they doing? We, we, CDs so okay, still? I'm glad you asked that because I really wanted to actually do vinyl records, which are not um, cost effective at my scale. Um, right. It would not be, a, but I was going to do it anyway because I I love vinyl. Um, but you cannot because Adele bought all of the vinyl in the world through next October. What? Oh, wait, I have heard about this. Because so there's just like there's only like 12 machines that can actually make vinyl records in the world. And they're all antiques. So they all break down. You can't get new parts for them. You can't buy new ones. And so the the capacity is low anyway. And so they're always several months delayed to make new vinyl. And then Adele's new record was a big push in vinyl. And she bought out Mm. the ability to make records for the earth through wow. October 2022. What a queen. <laughs> yeah, she's... I mean, it's not her fault, but it's just... It, they sold so well. Yeah. So she's like the America Online of vinyl for 2022. <laughs> you know, like, there was that that one month in, like, 1999 when AOL man- was manufactured on every single CD producer. Every CD player, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Exactly. It's uh, like that. You know, there's you, only like 12 machines and Jack White owns yeah. four of them. You should have mm-hmm. gone across the pond. You should have you should have tried to get a, a deal uh in Japan because they make better uh they make better vinyl over there. Good, I don't know if I've sold the Japanese rights to this album yet. I don't you know. You should but I would fly to Tokyo and buy your album. I would buy yeah, a but, lot of other stuff too. Yeah. But. You know how like Morrissey is really big in like non-English speaking countries because even if they oh, don't totally. understand his what he's saying, the emotion. emotion is universal, right? And yeah. I think like your comedy can kind of be yeah. like that. Like even if you know, like you're huge in Japan, even though they have no idea what you're saying. But yeah. they can just feel I, your emotion, you know? I did have a video of mine, of one of my jokes on Instagram. Um, a lot of people, I don't know if you guys have seen this on the internet, just steal other people's content. That's and great. um there's a there's a verified a Twitter account or Instagram yeah. account that took one of my jokes and that but they they're they they exist in Italy and Spain and so they put Italian subs and 
Spanish subs on it, and I have never seen one of my jokes in Italian before, and it looks very funny. So mm. may- maybe I should go try to be big in Italy now. Yeah, yeah well, you got the name for it. So I got to mint NFTs of all your jokes, you know, <laughs> oh my God. The blockchain. I have been emailed by two different companies that Dude. mint jokes as NFTs. And as much as I'd like to be involved in a Ponzi scheme, I just mm. can't. That's run exclusive by frat bros. I just can't quite do it. Um, I am not going to do vinyl just to answer, finish out your question. Um, we talked about doing cassettes because cassettes are kind of um, fun right Trendy now. Right now. Make. Yeah. And it's the thing is, no one's going to listen to it in any physical form, but it's just nice to have a thing to hold and to buy. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, but at, at this point for where I am, it was not justified to the record label to do any of those. So we're just going to have, um, laminates like tour laminates, which is what you get when you're like on in the band, you get this big, uh, plastic thing with the art of the, uh, tour and stuff. Anyway, we're going to, we'll, we'll do those that'll come with a code. So you have mm. just like a thing to buy and hold, and then it'll have the download code. With mm. Um, I like cassettes. Um, I want to say why I like cassettes real quick Please. because it's kind of funny. Um, my car got broken into when I was 21, I think, 21 or 22. So far, and, this uh, seems more sad than funny, but. No, it's great uh, okay. because I uh, had all this stuff in there. Well, I, it got broken into because I accidentally left my iPod in there. I had an iPod uh, at the time. Mm. They broke in, stole my iPod, re- went through everything. And I happened to have a big collection of tapes. And guess what they left me? <laughs> All the tapes? <laughs> All my tapes. I still had yeah. them. I felt Unstealable. unstoppable. <laughs> yeah. I like that about yeah. them. I mean, I that think... does raise the question. So, like, records, were, you know, records have always kind of been a thing. But they had kind of a big resurgent boom when, I was, when we were in our early 20s. And I now think last year, record sales around. outpaced CD sales for the first yeah. time. That makes yeah, sense. And then, but like tapes are getting kind of trendy again. Oh, like first gen iPods. Oh, what about Zunes? Going. Let's make the Zune cool again. Are those going to get trendy? I mean, Zune was never cool to start out with. That's no Zune. Zune always had like a cult following, and it still does. There's like there's like the Zune subreddit is very active right now. I like People the love screen. their Zunes. I I, I had yeah. a Zune. I liked it, but then it broke within six months of me buying it, which. Mm. Yeah, but maybe I bet I mean those little iPod shuffles, those little small ones. I bet you could like they'd be cheap enough right now to manufacture something like that that you could mm. s- give that away with at, with the album on it. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Get on that while the getting's good. Be, get on the ground floor. What? Yeah, I mean it's yeah. it's a it's just a USB stick with a headphone jack. I mean that you could do that. Yeah, mm. yeah. Make um, your own. Make your own iPod shuffle. Why don't you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's the personal. I'll tell you guys more about that when it comes up because I, I want to make sure that everyone who listens to the show has a chance to come to the show. I would love to see your faces at it. Um, one quick news news thing before we start. Um, Anthony shared this story with us, and I, I thought it'd be fun to chat about real quick, which is Anna de Armas fans sue because she was cut out of the film yesterday. Two fans filed a federal class action lawsuit on Friday, alleging they were duped into renting the 2019 film yesterday because Anna de Armas, Anna de Armas? Um, appeared in the trailer but was cut out of the final version of the movie they are suing universal for engaging in deceptive marketing and seek to recoup five million dollars on behalf of consumers so a brief aside on that you can sue and just you can anybody can sue and you can just make up a number you're asking for and lose that's so it doesn't mean anything 
that you're mm-hmm. asking. So, so there's a but lot then of it coverage. Gets reported, where it's like, Alex, the point is yeah. for it to get reported to us. They're sued for five dollars. And I am always annoyed when there's like news outlets that are like, somebody tripped over the sidewalk and sued the city for a billion dollars. Like, yeah, you could just write that number yeah. down. And then but, there's I mean, not a follow up story that's like, this was thrown out of court and the judge made fun of that person. The end. Mm. You just don't ever right. hear that part. But right. I mean, you got to start with a strong opening volley. Exactly. So you have space yeah. to go down. Right. Five million sounds yeah. really tame to me. This this movie yeah. did a lot of damage to these people. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was, so I was thinking, how much is an, an actual amount that I think I would deserve if this had happened to me? If I saw a person I liked yeah. in a trailer, saw the movie, they they had been cut out of it. Yeah. Um. According to the lawsuit, they each paid three ninety nine to rent the movie on Amazon. So I feel like a two hour movie, I'm worth about a hundred dollars an hour. So I think two hundred three ninety nine is how much I deserve in that lawsuit. Two hundred three thousand dollars. No, two hundred three dollars and ninety nine cents. I deserve the amount mm-hmm. I gave Amazon. This is not good. Plus no, I'm thinking nine point three eight billion dollars, <laughs> and I mean it's class action, so we got to split it up a little bit. Look, but I all I would want out of this is the opportunity to pay for a dinner with Ana de Armas. That's all oh, I'm sure. looking for out of this, okay. right? That's like enough. I will pay for the dinner. I that's all. Uh, I want like a half hour. Can you sue for a meet and greet? Like, can you yeah. sue someone to be like, "What I get if I win is a meet and greet with this person"? You should just say like, "Here's the cut scenes. You can have them for free," and then the lawsuit's dismissed. Just, have, just hang out with her and be like, "What's Daniel Craig like? You've worked with him twice now. Is he cool? He seems like a cool guy." You paying yeah. five million dollars to hang out with somebody just to ask about somebody else? About somebody else? That's, that's so yeah. insulting to just yeah. talk about other celebrities. But the reason I thought this would be a fun thing for us to discuss real quick was just like, have you guys ever felt misled by a trailer, mm. even if the person is still in the movie? But like, what's yeah. a trailer that you feel like you should be able to uh-huh. sue because it was so misleading? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of I mean, I, you know, I think that there's like a, a fun argument or discussion to have about like movies that have better trailers than the film. Definitely. Right. Like the the one that always comes to mind is uh, Brian Singer's Superman Returns. Which has a trailer that got me so hyped for that movie. Hmm. I really wanted what that trailer showed. And that wasn't even like any scenes that were cut out or anything. It just was like a good Superman movie, basically. Which <laughs> I wanted back when I was a kid. I think you, know? you should sue Universal um, for $5 million for yeah. them. For that. I'm, I'm sure Nine it wasn't them. Yeah, especially Universal. Because they have nothing to do with that nothing movie. To do with it. But just sue them anyway. You Warner, Warner Brothers, though, for deceptive yeah. marketing for making it look like a good yeah. Superman movie. Yeah. But, I mean, I do like... I mean, I personally like when a trailer is like, you know... Because, you know, especially a lot of trailers today kind of show you the whole movie real fast. I right. like when a yeah, trailer is real deceptive. I mean, famously, I mean, a few years ago, like Avengers Endgame... Not Avengers. I think it was Infinity War had a bunch of scenes that weren't in the movie in the trailers to like throw people off or they all oh, those are, it, i've they heard they do that sometimes them. just because they yeah. make the trailer before the movie's finished shooting yeah and then or finished cutting but this I was on, do it purpose. on purpose yeah it's like a publicity thing they like interesting they like fuck with you yeah i think with like infinity war there was like stuff when you know because it's all cg they can pit the hulk in the background yeah, of yeah. the scene he's Just not gonna throw be the hulk in, right? in there yeah, yeah. But they did that yeah, to kind of like to, wait. The Hulk got cut out of it. That person does. Whoever saw yeah. that deserves five million dollars. Yeah. Oh man, I feel nerdy, but I remember exactly what it was. It was that in a shot, it was the Hulk, but in the movie, he's he's uh, he can't turn into the Hulk. That's the whole thing happening in that movie. Oh, uh, okay. Hulk so kind of quit being so in, Hulk. So you see the Hulk in the trailer, but then the, in the movie, they're like. 
Um, I'm sorry, you just have this tremendous actor, but think, he's not giant and yeah. green. I think it's Mark Ruffalo in a robot. In a yeah, big it's robot. Well, in the movie. In the, he's in a instead robot of scene, Hulk. instead of the Hulk. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's like stuff like that where they... And I kind of appreciate if they're like kind of obfuscating the plot a little yeah, bit. Totally. I think straight up false advertising that certain actors are going to be in it is a little bit different and weird. Like, especially if it's like, if at the end of the movie, when you're like naming off all the famous people, if you name a famous person, uh, that's really strange. Um, yeah. Uh, what I, what I think is a more interesting conversation and a funny thing to talk about is, you know, who should sue for something like this? when an actor doesn't know they've been cut out of a movie and take oh. their family and friends to a premiere oh, whoa. and then yeah, see that they've that. been cut out. Well, I mean like Adrian Brody, who I'm not a huge fan of has the most famous story of this. Um, in Terrence Malick's thin red line, he was cast as the lead of the movie and he shot he w- a bunch. He of- was the line. He was the yes, red he line. He was cast whoa. as the titular line, <laughs> but you know, Terrence Malick makes movies in a very kind of flowy, see what happens, just film mm-hmm. stuff way. Yeah. Um, but Adrian Brody famously believed he was the lead of the movie because that's what he was told. That's what he filmed. Invited all of his family and friends to the premiere, and he's in the movie for one scene, and that's it. And just that how is much so brutal. A- I-, I have friends who have been in little parts in TV shows that got cut, and they were not told. And like took their family to go watch the show, like do a big watch party, and then they didn't show up. Um, well, in fact, Shane, who we just mentioned earlier, thought he mm-hmm. was in Last Comic Standing, and they cut him out mm-hmm. of the episode. Aww. And we just saw his ponytail in the background, and that he had a big watch party for that. That was super sad. Um, so, yeah, that I mean, that's a bummer on our level. The idea that you think you're the lead in the movie, that's I just so can't nuts. imagine how brutal that is. Yeah. How did I he agree. get I think that he... far before he found out that he wasn't the lead? Yeah, like, this really is. I, I understand if you make flowy movies, Malik, but you might want to mention to somebody, hey, just so you know, this isn't yeah, what you, you thought think, it was. I mean, I like when you hear about that, like a director called the actor and explained it to him. But I guess, Ter- I mean, Terrence Malik doesn't seem to take calls in general. He's a very <laughs> private, reclusive guy. Sure. Um, but yeah, that seems pretty brutal. Uh, I, think. Brutal. So I think he deserves five know. million yeah. dollars from Universal for that. Yeah, yeah. nine point three eight billion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's the news. Let's talk about our homework here. Let's get get into the meat of the show. It's time for segment two: the game. Oh wait! Oh shit! Before I start, swamp leeches. Everybody, check for swamp leeches. Uh, mm-hmm. No one else got hit. I'm the only one? What's the deal with that? All right. Um, this week, we were watching The Life Aquatic with Steve Zazu, the 2004 American comedy drama film written by Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach and directed by Anderson, who in this movie, I think we should only refer to as Wet Anderson. Whoa. This, this is a water movie. Um, as you know, for all of season five, we're playing the new game, Kevin Bacon's Exquisite Corpse, which is our game where we um, have to travel through one actor at a time from movie to movie. And if we ever hit one of the four movies that we chose at the beginning, that person who chose that movie gets five points and the whole game resets. It's going to take all year to play, possibly for anything interesting to happen. We'll see. We haven't really play tested. No, this. come on. I I, I mm. had a great idea last week, which is that we should all have secret powers that we 
reveal when we use them. Well, we'll talk about this more in the um, arguing about the rules phase of the show, which is a yeah, feature yeah. that everyone loves. Um, Hell yeah. So, oh, and just I, I, since I didn't, uh, I didn't actually... Oh man, I now I've forgotten. We this was uh, this was my pick. Yeah, yeah. your pick, bro. Wrote this down in the last episode file, and I'm not looking at it right now. Um, was it? Who was it? Gosh darn it! It was oh, Noah how did we get Taylor. Here? Noah Taylor. Thank you. We we yeah. we moved from uh, No Edge of Tomorrow via Noah Taylor into mm. this movie. Um, Who this I know is, it's like ten years difference, but it's incredible. Like, and I, he's supposed to look kind of haggard in Edge of Tomorrow, but he looks. 40 years younger in this movie <laughs> than he looks in Edge of Tomorrow. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of fun that the element of this game. The, he's such a young little baby in this. Yeah, some some movies they will be similar, but some of them just like we did with uh, Bill Paxton's mustache last week. Very different. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so we moved to Noah, Noah Taylor. This is my pick. Um, this is a movie that is one move away from my pick um, of my point movie, which we'll see. We're going to find out later if that's what we're going to do. Um, but some of the options available to Anthony to pick from this movie is starring Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Kate Blanchett, Angelica Huston, uh, Willem Dafoe, Jeff Goldblum, Michael Gambon, Bud Court, and of course, Noah Taylor. A lot of good options here. And because the Wes Anderson film is just a long cast, so there's a lot of, yes. lot of people you can play with. Um, for the, this is sort of the the uh, I think it's like the overlooked Wes Anderson now. It's uh, having kind mm-hmm. of an interesting um, possible resurgence. But for those of you who did not see it, please allow me to summarize for you in my patented five sentence summary: the 2004 film, The Life Aquatic with Steve uh, And Steve as an audience member, wait, but I'm saying before you go into this, I want the audience members to, in their mental palace, imagine a movie poster, and we're gonna move through the movie posters. Area by area, in a yes. nice long tracking shot, describing each line that Alex says with a nice synthy background music, kind of playing. Also, also it. imagine that that movie poster was the peak of the movie. <laughs> what, yeah. what what if we worked backwards from a movie poster and never topped it? Oh, okay, right. Yeah. So Steve Zizou is a modern version of Jacques Cousteau traveling around the seas, getting in adventures, and filming it for his many documentary documentary films, which look fake but apparently aren't. For reasons that are pretty obvious, they are getting less and less popular these days. Even the most recent one, in which his partner gets eaten by a shark, fails at the box office. Before depart, Right before departing uh, for the next mission, the film crew, um, which is going out to get revenge on said shark, um, Steve discovers his long-lost son, or is it? You'll never actually find out. Um, He shows up and goes along for the ride where they get attacked by pirates. Steve's wife leaves him. He hits on a reporter who's too young for him. His son sleeps with said reporter. They steal some stuff from uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum, and they see some neat-looking fish that look fake, but apparently aren't. They uh, also find the shark, and then they can't blow him up because they're out of dynamite, and then Steve's fake son dies. That's the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you did it yeah. backwards there at the end, though, because Steve, Steve's fake son dies, and then they find the shark. Right, that's yeah. true. Um, I was saying those two things happen, not that they happen in that exact order. But yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. Good point. Uh, I just we'll wanted review, the order to be right. Reverse the tracking for... shot. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm um, surprised you didn't mention uh, all the uh, all the hate speech that comes out of Steve Azuzu's mouth. <laughs> Zuzu, oh, yeah. mouth <laughs> in this movie. Which... There is explicitly, like, like, specifically homophobic hate speech. That's his yeah. main thing. And he yeah, says it a lot. He's not the only yeah. one, but he is yeah. the primary. Oh, I thought he one. was. I did not notice. Yeah. Was there other people? Were there um, did other people say stuff? 
Mm. Yeah, somebody else said said one other thing, and I've forgotten what it was. But yeah, me, mm. but um, Bill Murray's character is explicitly homophobic, repeatedly, yeah. and inexplicably homophobic, and in a way that feels like it's so out of place. It's like surely mm. this is going to be a thing that the, mm. it's going to matter to the plot somehow, mm. and it doesn't. I was wrong about no, that. I mean, it's it just... it's Wes all of Wes Anderson's movies are about really really bad people, right? That's like a a fre- like a premise of it. I mean. All of his hmm. movies are filled with stuff like this. They're, and a lot of it is this sort of like detached, ironic racism or ironic homophobia. But Grand Budapest Hotel has a bunch of this, a bunch yeah. of homophobic slurs in that movie. Royal Tenenbaums has a lot of racial slurs thrown around in the film. It's just mm. a part of kind of what I think. Fantastic that, Mr. Fox well, has no racism and homophobia. Yeah. I <laughs> well, I also haven't seen it in a long time. It probably. <laughs> Has some really yeah, big anti bad jokes. I watched it, it pretty bit, recently, but... and I don't remember any homophobia. But I, mean, I think that's either. one of the things about Wes Anderson movies that is a kind fairly interesting. Is one, like, I mean, his best work, I think, is the darker his material, his his movies are, the more I enjoy them. Like I do oh, like the Fantastic Mr. Fox, but I think like. Royal Tenenbaums and Grand Budapest are like my two favorite films of his, but they're I, Grand Budapest is, is my one of my favorite. But I, I mean, Fantastic Mr. Fox, I think is his best movie. Yeah. I think that movie is phenomenal. Yes, I, I really like that one. I don't think I've walked out of a theater beaming the way I did after Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm-hmm. It's just so delightful. But yeah, I loved Bud- Budapest Hotel, but I, I did not love the Royal Tenenbaums. I thought the Royal Tenenbaums yeah. didn't quite come together for me. Mm. In a way that, yeah, I, in, in a similar way to the way I think this one didn't quite come together. Yeah. Um, although we we recently watched the French Dispatch's new movie, and I liked that almost as much as anything I've ever seen him do. I yeah. loved that one as well. Well, I mean, yeah, that to one me, was really cool. Anderson is always been pretty hit or miss. I'm not a huge fan of his work. I have a a theory about Wes Anderson. I kind of want to get to at the end I, of this. Okay. Okay. Um, because uh, I think it will be kind of a good little mini argument to have. But I have Great. this. Overall unifying theory of the works of Wes Anderson that I want. What an excellent tease! So we'll come back to the Um, grand unifying theory of Wes Anderson. Um, but first, I can cross out note number one: a lot of homophobia? Question mark. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but actually, Hunter, we were talking. We we didn't get you in here. How do you feel about Wes generally and about the order of the movies he's in specifically? Yeah. Um. So I I really liked these movies. Uh, when I was a kid, and and I me and my friends kind of bonded over some of these flicks especially this one mm-hmm. um and i haven't watched it in like 10 years um and yeah there was there were definitely some flies in the soup um but it's also it's like you know those movies you see i don't know when you're like 13 or 14 or whatever that like maybe kind of shape your tastes a little more mm-hmm. than other things will just because when it's hitting you or whatever this is one of those movies for me um and i just think the way like so many comedy lines from it uh like kind of just live in my head all the time like when the fucking uh stooge is like we fucking stole it man like (laughs) so good and i just think about that line all the time yeah um the part where he's like uh you left your fucking dog like that's yeah yeah Yeah. so so, so this still banged for you you're saying um i mean I, I would say overall it probably did, yeah. Yeah. Cool. But I, I also like wouldn't take my opinion on it too seriously because what I'm telling you is that it's formative. And when somebody tells yeah. you something is formative, it means that they maybe don't have the most critical eye 
that they can even well, throw this is at true. it. I, I, w- I was a little confused because sometimes when somebody says something is formative and they haven't seen it in a long time, they say, but now with my old eyes, I don't, it doesn't make sense anymore or whatever. But yeah. you're saying it was still wonderful mm. for that reason. I think, I think it's still in my, it's, it's still in my blind spot to a certain extent. Um, because I know a lot of people don't really like this one that much. Yeah. And I, my personal experience is that I can't really see what they're talking about. I don't get it. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, this so was my the understanding first... is that it did not do well at the time. No. And that it's been like experiencing a renaissance recently mm. with, uh, uh, as an overlooked Wes Anderson masterpiece. Mm. Is that mm. your impression too, Anthony? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I don't know if it's necessarily gotten masterpiece. I think some people have always liked it, but this is the first movie of his that was like critically pretty divisive, right? All of yeah. his other movies before this were like universally loved, big, um, big successes for what they were. This was a movie that bombed really bad at the box office. It was his first time working with like a really big budget. Yeah. Um, I oh, necessarily, I kind of bounced off it when I first saw it. And, and like, I think uh, a lot of people, for me at, at least, and I think some other people felt this, that this was like the first time that people were like, oh, so this is just like what you're going to do. <laughs> yes, right? Because you look at like the evolution of his first three movies and you kind of see like new things coming for it. And I do think there's some stuff that I, I really, really still like about this movie. I love all the um, Henry Selleck stop animation stuff, like all the yeah, animals so and fish. And I, I love this something that Wes Anderson has always done since this movie is that his, his effects will never age poorly because they were never right. meant to look real to start out with. They will always look exactly how they look. Right. They okay. Never- so, so this is one issue that I have with it, and I was hinting at it in the summary, which is I love the fake sea life looking ridiculous and being mm-hmm. very specific and stylized, except that there's a part where one of the characters says, your movies all look fake. And so if in the world, the fake looking fish also look fake, now I'm very confused as to what I'm supposed oh. to be seeing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That threw me off. Before that, I was like, "Oh, this is a cool stuff." Okay, th- th- that that looks fake, but that's what a real fish looks mm-hmm. like in this world. But then they were like, "No, also doesn't work." I actually that yeah. I didn't get that being a reference to the to the stop motion in particular. It must not have been, but that's what it seemed yeah. like to me. See, yeah. to me, it's that's a reference to like the scene when they're diving yeah. in the ice and just happen to find a bunch of exactly. animals totally. that are buried. Like that that's... makes more sense. But the way it hit me in the moment was like, yeah. "Oh, are you?" acknowledging that they're silly looking but i think that also like ties into the the theme of the movie is that like the artificiality and like what's the difference right everything in movies are fake the idea of like is this his son or not we we don't know it could be real it could be not it doesn't matter because like the relationship and what it means to the characters thus what it means to the audience is what's important like this is a movie that is purposely challenging the artificiality of everything right um, what I thought was really interesting watching it this time, something I, I don't think ever would have considered, like I had considered when I was younger watching this, but to me what this movie is, and like I said, I still think this is one of his weaker movies. I don't think it's like Dojing Limited bad, because that is just, I thought that one fucking sucked. And that was um, the one after this, so he had yeah. kind of a lull. Yes, mm-hmm. but doesn't this months. movie, when I kind of was watching this, I just kept thinking how this movie is... Wes Anderson coming off the massive critical success of Royal Tenenbaums, uh, him kind of pitting his worst fears for where he could possibly end up 
as a filmmaker into a movie, right? <sighs> Steve Zissou is like, okay, if making I making the same can, movie over and over, yeah, yeah. If I just what if if I continue doing this, making the same movie and over again, I'm gonna get you know, slower returning results every time, and I'm gonna end up on a boat surrounded by sycophants and no one who challenges me. Right. And I'm going to have not have had a family, not have had anything. And him kind of like looking at his priorities and where he wants to end up and pitting that on screen. At least that's what I kind of got out of this. This is a very good reading, Anthony. Um, I like this a lot. No, I think he's 100% right, too. I think that's exactly what the movie's about. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, you know, I, I read one uh, And he's deeply homophobic, so it makes sense. Yeah, that's exactly. I, mean, on <laughs> I wish they could have chosen so... I was thinking about that aspect of it, because it is like the most obnoxious part to watch uh, at this point uh, that I probably did not notice when I was 13. Yeah, uh, right. I didn't even think about it. Um, but... There's so many different qualities they could have given him to make him out of touch that did not need to be, you know, homophobic, homophobia or sexism or racism. Like, there's so many things they could have established that exact same thing uh, with. It's it's like he's homophobic and it is like, I think, important for the character to have some aspect of that that is so obnoxious and distasteful that you're like, because he is like a piece of shit. I mean, he's probably the, the shittiest guy that uh, yeah. Wes Anderson has ever made a movie about, I feel like, is Steve. Yeah, yeah but also, I, I hate, even at the time when I saw it, one of the things I really hated about the movie is, like, I think all of that stuff would work better, but my my biggest thing I still hate about this movie the most is the cop-out at the end when Jeff Goldblum's like, oh, I'm pro-gay, just, like, oh, yeah, I hate justifying that part, the homophobia that that's, he says that's, throughout that's, the yeah. movie. It, go, it goes... Even farther in that moment, in a way that is really obnoxious. Yeah, yes. I really yes. was annoyed by that. Um, well, that's the part where I was like, "Is this your supposed to be what I was supposed to be getting this whole time? Is this why he's doing all of this?" And then it's not. It's just a right. nothing. Yeah. Right. Um, I feel like there's a lot in this movie that is really magical. I mean, obviously, this is like one of the best looking movies, as with all of his movies, the best looking movie I've ever seen. Um, the costume design like the the costumes the the uniforms they wear the short sleeve sailing sweaters the orange red cap the adidas that they only made 20 pairs of and so you can't buy them um they're like it's a cool looking movie the set of the boat cut in half and the scene where you just move the camera around this half a boat and then later they come back and do it during a chase scene is like one of the most wonderful and delightful things i've seen but it did feel to me like there was just something not quite coming together for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was just, That's... I felt like I was, mo- it was almost like in the way that his other ones, like with Fantastic Mr. Fox or Budapest Hotel came or French Dispatch came together mm. and felt like magic. This felt like it was like all the right mm. ingredients, but maybe you cooked it at the wrong temperature or something. It didn't quite, you didn't let it set. It's got a soggy mm. bottom. I don't know. It just has some something slightly wrong that kept it from all coming together for me. I think one of the problems that the movie has is that in the end, it is a story about a guy who um, is a piece of... Sh- it's almost like a Christmas Carol-like type story about uh, a shitty old guy. And he sort of overcomes his shittiness at the end, but we don't really see 
like like basically i mean this is spoilers but owen wilson has to die and then he has this moment where it seems like he's gotten better in some ways but it's kind of unclear in which way he is a better person now yes I, it's I, also I unclear right. why we should root for him because of ned dying like like ned had to die and then he kind of it kind of feels like the movie is sort of saying like look now he's going to be slightly less a piece of shit um yeah he doesn't really like I don't feel like he's learned lessons. I I mean, I'm always like at this point, I'm a little skeptical. I wouldn't have been in 2004, but at this point, I'm pretty skeptical of a movie where your whole thing is this guy is a shitty boss right. who is always hitting on women 30 years younger than him. But what he deserves is a redemption arc for no reason. Right. Like That's just a tough sell to me right now. I agree. Um, and I just don't think in like in Christmas Carol, he does the work. He goes through a bunch yeah, of oh, yeah. terror and the whole realizing about him doing that work. Like what? or the whole the whole story is about yeah, him like, doing that work. Yes, exactly. It's him going through the terrible experience of finding out he might someday die and people will say bad things about him in the dark. But in mm. this movie, like his whole negative experience is like the guy, this guy he just met and didn't treat very well dies. And Mm-hmm. Also, he was right about the shark. Like it's, he doesn't feel like he's done. I mean, he did get captured by pirates, but it didn't yeah. teach him like what was valuable about all of this all the time, and what, yeah, what was true. the thing you were missing, yeah. and what what did you, how did you treat your wife wrongly? Um, mm-hmm. I, I do think that it does. He gets a lot out of this. Is the first time I believe the only time Bill Murray goes from essentially like a small supporting role or a glorified cameo, which he is in most movies to like the lead of a Wes Anderson movie, you know? And like Bill Murray is, you know, not the, doesn't have the best reputation as being someone who's incredibly easy to work with. Like he will be, if he likes you and wants to be there, but he's not also like, I think I read that this is the only time Bill Murray has ever cried on camera is at the end of this movie in his whole career. Um, And I do think that there is something to Bill Murray being so willing to participate in this role and do the work. And I think he makes this character much more enjoyable. I mean, same exact thing Ralph Fiennes does in Grand Budapest Hotel, right? If any other actor was playing um, the manager of the Grand Budapest, that movie would be insufferable, right? Because that is, I mean, Steve Zizou is not great. The guy from the Grand Budapest is a monster. If you actually think about what he does with his life and how he spends his time, right? He is a horrible human being. And like, yeah, I don't remember that part. What does he do? I mean, his whole thing is sleeping with old women to like swindle them out of their inheritances. (laughs) They were were happy to do it. But he also is, has a lot of, you know, but yeah, says a lot of horrible things. But again, that's like a part of Wes Anderson. What I to think be clear, not defending that, just haven't seen it in a while, so that's why I don't remember yeah. it. It's not that I don't well, remember yeah, him I, being I bad. I think if your point is that Grand Budapest is better, I think I totally agree. I just yeah. like, I don't know. It's it's like, I think of this movie in the same way that like people think of like, I don't know, like Airplane. There's just like certain gags from this Dude, movie so we, that I are mean, just kind of deep yeah, in there. I wanted to come back to some of the comedy of it. I, I think my favorite is with the kid who might be his son, the adult man who might be his son, where yeah. he goes, can I... Ned goes, can I call you dad? And he goes, no, but I think a nickname is the right idea. You can call me Stevesy. I mean, I still That's think... a great the- gag. And then he does. He keeps calling him Stevesy. And then later, yeah. they, they revisit it. And he's like... Yeah, I let you call me. I let you call me Stevesy. He's like, well, it doesn't have the same n- name. It doesn't have the same meaning. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I really love um, 
even though this is like just such an absurd dark humor, but like when he pulls the gun on Kate Blanchett during the interview, oh my god, that I just scene. think that's a really funny joke. Um, <laughs> like the really, really is dark this stuff. theme real? Like, yeah. it, oh my god, the you know, um, do the interns all get clocks? No, they have to share one. Like all the 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 interns are funny every time they appear, yeah. and the and the fact the Bond Company stooge who. Mm. They just always call a stooge, even when they rescue him from pirates, like they just keep calling him a stooge to the end is so funny. Yeah. And especially now that I think of this as being like a th- like more of his concerns about his Wes's concerns about his future as a director. Like mm-hmm. at one point, maybe because this was the most expensive movie he was making, he had a Bond company stooge there. But he's just like that's it. That felt very real for him. This guy yeah. that he's going to hate no matter what, no matter what he goes through. It's always going to be a stooge to him. That joke rules. Yeah, it. I think it just works better as as a silly comedy. But the the core of the movie, the spine of the movie, doesn't really make very much sense. Uh, and is I would say pretty much when Grand Budapest came out, I was like, this is like a superior movie in basically every yeah. way. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think, especially um, this was his first sort of foray into action. Uh, which Wes Anderson doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have a lot of like gun, gun foo stuff yeah. in his movies. You know, he's not uh-huh. a huge action set piece guy. But I mean, I do, I think like the action stuff really pitted me off the first time I saw it. Sort of rewatching it now and thinking about mm-hmm. the point I was saying earlier about like the artificiality of movies and like mm-hmm. the documentaries he makes looks fake and set up, and the gunfights in this movie look fake and set up. Like, yeah. it looks like, like, the whole pirate subplot, if anything, looks like something Steve Zazu uh, made up and right. staged for his documentary, right? It does yeah, yeah that's like... an interesting point, that a lot of the movie is blocked to look like it's a Steve Zazu movie, even though we are meant to be behind the Steve in a different camera than he is. Yeah. But it's still kind of yeah. trying to look like that. That's really interesting. Um, but yeah, I think like he 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 got so much better at framing all of that stuff. I do also. I I think what happens with the dog was it Cody is sad, mm-hmm. but I like that. You know, another Wes Anderson trait is he always kills a family pet in almost all of his movies. Whoa, really? Um, yeah, I mean the dog that gets run over in Royal Tenenbaums, uh, the dog so that gets st- shot with an arrow in Moonrise Kingdom, the yeah, yeah. cat so that what gets thrown out a window thing. in Grand Budapest. He kills a pet in almost all Why of his movies. Why is this his thing? Right, but Cody Again, didn't die. Yeah, but Cody doesn't die. He just gets abandoned on a pirate island. Um, <laughs> well, that was a dope island. I bet Cody's yeah. going to like it there. Yeah, Those are Cody's original owners. Who cares? Yeah. Like, Cody yeah. should be with them. But again, That's it's so like, true. to me, like, the murdering the pet thing is another one of those things that I, I find really interesting about Wes Anderson's work. It's the same thing with, like, the hate speech or the slows or something. It's those things that, like, people, I think, get it gets lost in the twee of it. Mm-hmm. Just how dark um, some of his humor is. You yeah, know? I, I like that as a, I mean, as a balance for the twee. And like, it's yeah. like, you need to cut it a little bit that if you didn't have some darkness behind it, it would not play. If this was just yeah. movies that tur- where everything is sweet all the time, it would be, right. it would be saccharine yeah. and terrible. Right. Yeah, and this is also, you know, the first movie of his not co-written by Owen Wilson. Right, so I do think that that's why a bit oh. of the humor is a bit different. Um, I mean, you, still, it's missing Owen's gentle touch. Yeah, 
I mean, I don't know who wrote the joke, but still, I think the best joke in all of Wes Anderson's movie is in the Royal Tenenbaums when Owen Wilson's like, look, we all know Custer died at little battle, the Battle of Little Bighorn, but what my new novel supposes is what if he didn't? <laughs> uh, it's it's still my favorite joke in all of his movies I, that's and, and that's a joke oh, where it's like that phrasing has become like i see that in memes like that, that yeah. way of constructing yeah. stuff is a great and yeah, it's just right. owen wilson's delivery of it it's just so fucking spot on um, okay so this has been very enjoyable yeah but i think you know we've teased the listeners long enough this is what they came for this is what they've paid for Everyone wants to know, Anthony, what is your unified field theory of Wes Anderson? Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. So I've had this theory about Wes Anderson for a long time. But I think once you kind of understand this, you kind of get a much better sense of, of where Wes Anderson belongs in the pantheon of American filmmaking. Right. And kind of it's a really good framing device to think about Wes Anderson. But I, I'm going to suppose that Wes Anderson and Michael Bay are the exact same filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Wes Worth Anderson. What's the price of admission? I'm not, yeah. I don't know where you're going, but I mean, are, this is a They theory. are two sides of the same coin. Wes Anderson okay. is the indie art house version of Michael Bay. Michael Bay is the populist blockbuster version of Wes Anderson. They are the same only more. two um, living American filmmakers that can be put into this category. But if you really think about it, they are identical in terms of their movies, right? Their movies I'm are very so different. Give me the evidence. But okay, so they are the only two major American filmmakers that one are completely, even when they try to do more substance, substantial things, the style overweighs everything else. They are the only two American major American filmmakers that repeat so much imagery and iconography from mm-hmm. film to film, right? Mm-hmm. There are a set list of 10 shots that's in every single Wes Anderson movie. Mm. There's a set list of 10 shots that's in every single Michael Bay movie, right? Mm. For every every Wes Anderson movie, he's got that long, slow-mo tracking shot in the final act. Every Michael Bay movie has that low hero shot standing up with the camera spinning around him in the final act, right? Mm. They're the only two major American filmmakers without a single outlier in their entire <laughs> filmography, Right. There's no other major, like, even like you take other like big sort of auteur filmmakers like the David Finchers, the the Cohen brothers, right? You could not, you would not pit, besides the fact that they were made by the same person, like Raising Arizona, No Country for Old Men, or Inside Llewellyn Davis on the same shelf, right? They're right. three completely different films. All Wes Anderson movies need to go on a shelf next to each other. Right, they, and they probably uh, look repeat- great right there next to yeah. each other. Too. Yeah, they would look and they really are good. <laughs> repeating imagery, repeating ideas. He works on variations of one stylistic flourish, right? Michael Bay does the exact same thing. He's another director who has no outliers. Just All of his movies are Michael Bay-ass Michael Bay movies, like Wes Anderson's movies are Wes Anderson-ass Wes Anderson movies. Right. They both have a set group of people they like to work with and within their comfort zone. They both focus on the same exact sort of themes over and over again. And I think the same way that the type of people they choose to make movies about are the same exact people, right? The cast of Pain and Gain, the cast of Transformers, are hateful, spiteful, angry, sad people who really Mm -hmm. learn nothing at the end, but are still the heroes. 
all of Wes Anderson's movies are about the same exact people that Michael Bay makes movies about. Just skinnier, more twee, and they hide. And the audiences really reflect the same exact feeling, right? Like, I don't think there's very little over... I mean, I think there is now a little bit more overlap, but I think, like, real diehard Michael Bay fans don't like Wes Anderson movies. Real Wes Anderson fans stick their nose up at Michael Bay movies. And I'm not comparing the quality of their movies. I think Wes Anderson makes much better movies on a whole. I mean, I don't think any Wes Anderson movies are as good as, like, The Rock or, like, Bad Boys, but they're still still pretty good, you know? And I just think that, like... I... Okay, here's my response. I'm not smart enough to know if you're right or wrong, but I do think that if this was a YouTube video, it would have a million views. Yeah, that's my. Re- I this, this is a theory a- built <laughs> for the internet. <laughs> it's br- it's it's. I mean, the construction I can is faultless, right. and I you're just right. don't mm. know if it's real or not. But I believe you. I'm taken you, in. I, mm. I subscribe to your mm. newsletter. You edit I, in just like the shots of all, all the repeating shots, and maybe even you do you sneak in one that's of Michael Bay, but then the shot is relating to a Wes Anderson shot. That would be funny. That would be. I really mean, he's got big explosions in Wes Anderson yeah. movies, and that's if you did, Bay if movies, you did a shot with all of the different pets that died, but like in a big grid. Yeah, but yeah I mean, just yep. think about like they both focus. I mean, they have two very different goals, but I think in terms of like the what they set out to make as a movie, just. Very, very precise, very, very, um, you know, design and stylistic filmmaking. There really is yeah. no one else comparable. The only person comparable to Wes Anderson, I think, is Michael Bay as an American <laughs> filmmaker. The only like, person you could ever mention in a conversation with Wes Anderson yeah. is Michael Bay. We all agree. Well, well, ridiculous think, to bring anyone else up. And I think yeah. that is like a, I mean, what a else, big. Who else could it be? I mean, there are two massively influential uh, American filmmakers. I mean, uh-huh. who else is in that conversation? Who else yep. could you pit into this category? They both of like making filmmakers. commercials. They're both good at commercials. Yeah, mm. yeah. But like everyone yeah, else, probably, you know, they're they're both making movies. You know, contemporaneously, they might meet each other at a party. They might hang out. I bet they're friends. I bet they're really they might they're really tight. They, yeah. uh, might be tight friends. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, like you know. Michael Bay talks about a lot how his his favorite movie is West Side Story, kind of going back to what we were talking about West Side Story before this. And that's what he kind of sets out to make every time. There's a film that's like that precise, that controlled. And like they are very different. You know, Wes Anderson, I don't imagine, has 20 cameras rolling on every single shot so he can find it in the edit. But they, they still they build films in a very, very similar way. And the style of the film is the most important thing. And the thing that the audience members that like their movies, the main mm-hmm. thing they want out of it, right? Most people aren't going to a Wes Anderson movie to get like a narrative, satisfying, emotionally resident story that's going to make them think about stuff, right? right? Same way that people don't go to Michael Bay movies for the same thing. They're going for the style. And I think that it, if anything, my, my point is that I think that the fact that the two audiences really would judge the other so much, especially I think Wes Anderson fans really look up their nose at Michael Bay movies. And again, most Michael Bay movies yeah. are really, really bad. Yeah. But I think that I like the all fact- these assumptions we're making yeah. about these people, it just yeah. it, no, no, they're right. Building though. two teams here, they're in yeah, like gangs. But, yeah, but I think the fact that 
if you can think of Wes Anderson more like you think of Michael Bay and in terms of like a real a guy who's really into more spectacle than anything else. And also think of Michael Bay more like people think of Wes Anderson. Because I think people like shit on Michael Bay a lot. Again, he's not the greatest storyteller, but as a visual director who can direct and put together an action sequence with a um with like a flair and a consistency that very few other people have. And I think like what's really interesting to compare is their imitators. Like you can see people trying to rip off Michael Bay and no one does it as good as Michael Bay, right? People try to do that low hero spinning shot all the time and they always fuck it up. It is never as good as Michael Bay does it. People try to do Wes Anderson shots all the time but they never do it with the same precision that right. you get with a Wes Anderson movie. Um, yeah. And I, I think that they are just two such fascinating things to juxtapose for like American filmmakers. And they're like yeah. said, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that I would put in the same category as these two. But the similarities, once you really start to think about it and really starting to compare and contrast their filmmaking styles, they're... It's insane the amount of similarities they I, have. Anthony, I, this is going to be emotionally unsatisfying for you, but I love it. No notes. Yeah, I don't really have. I, <laughs> I mean, wish I, I could riff one. I have nothing to add to this. I, felt, I think this is a great, great theory, and I'm sure people can write it and mm. tell us their thoughts about it. I don't know. I don't know enough to riff on this, but I think it's awesome. I think it's a great theory, and I, I felt think it's time by the like third word. Yeah, then, yeah. <laughs> that, that the, the, well, I guess if I was going to give you one note, is like don't. Don't oversell us. Like we, mm-hmm. you had us. You don't have to keep selling once we're on. I board, mean, personally, but. I mean, I would go so far as to say, like, maybe the similarities between these gu- two guys is not very surprising. Like, yeah, they but have no a lot one else. In common. Yeah, I don't think no anyone else has else made this really YouTube video yet. It. This is why you have to start well, your you channel. Gotta, you got to make it now. You got to make it now. Yeah. I think you do. All right, we're gonna move on to the game, but um, that's the that's the official field theory for uh, Wes Anderson and the official position of the podcast. All right, let's get into segment three. Next up, it's time for the master list. We have to rank this movie in comparison to all other movies from season five. Obviously, everyone with a brain knows this is third, but I can't wait for both of you to first ironically Mm. and then seriously make the argument that this movie is better than Apollo 13. We can just put it third. Yeah, I have no problem hitting this though. Yeah, I yeah. Definitely think. Okay, but that was the that was how it felt last week, and then you guys had some wild shit, and so Apollo thirteen yeah. got pushed no, below. No, but... Yeah, we we got you last week, but this week yeah. we're going to give you some breathing room. You know, thank yeah. you. Okay, so the Life Aquatic uh, drops to third behind Apollo thirteen and Edge of Tomorrow. Um, thanks for making it easy, guys. Uh, then it's time to move on to segment three point five. So as you'll recall. Just quick reminder of the rules you, uh, that we're going to move from one, through one actor that is in this movie into the into another movie. Um, if any, if the Cable Guy, Eternal Sunshine, Spotless Mind, the prob- the taking of Pelham One Two Three, or Battleship Potemkin from Night Twenty Five is picked next, the person who picked that movie gets five points. We can't go back to the same actor twice in a row, and we can't use actors that have been cut out of the movie entirely. All right, it is Anthony's turn. Anthony, mm-hmm. you have the opportunity right now to travel via Owen Wilson and select the cable guy, thus earning you my promise to get to your movie, Battleship Potemkin. That's not my well, that's movie. Not, right, not, not that. No, um, yeah. um, uh, taking of Pelham 123. To get you there, 
with all due, all appropriate haste, with all possible haste. Mm-hmm. That's your opportunity. Mm-hmm. What is our movie for next week? All right, I'm not going to do that. I can tell I you that right now. Would. It I didn't seem so, likely. I what I wanted to do is I want to I want to I want to take us back in time a little bit. I want to go. Yeah. Um, Where it helps me. I want to go back as far back as I possibly can from. This oh my movie. god! I yes. Make the make the field <laughs> a little bit more easier for Hunter. Make it really prime myself. Get him up there, and also, you know. I, I, I play, look, I'm in this for the love of the game. I'm not in this win, lose, or draw, right? I don't really care. I want to see movies that sound good, that will be fun to talk about, and if I haven't seen it but always really wanted to, that to All me is my golden star. That is what I'm looking for. Yeah. It sounds to me like you're describing so, Cable Guy. Yeah, I nope. mean, I have seen Cable Guy, though. Oh, okay. Um, not in a long time, but I have seen it. But so what I have done is I have used Angelica Houston to okay. go back to 1975 to see a movie I have always wanted to see in which she plays the woman in the crowd on the pier. Uncredited. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. But I, I have always I'm choosing uh, for next week's movie. Uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh. I've never gotten a chance to see it. I've always wanted to see it. Uh, I've always heard nothing but good things. This is a movie that is referenced a lot in culture. People constantly make references to the nose, to lines from it. And I yeah. want to be, I want to have that knowledge. I want to have that. Um, so that's what I'm picking. I'm picking the 1975 um, classic, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Excellent. Um, so have you already looked up the potential moves that come out of this? No, I have not. Um, obviously, you got but, I mean, it's got a people like cast. Jack Nicholson, uh, Louise Fletcher, Christopher Lloyd, Danny DeVito. I don't remember uh-huh. that. Wow. I'm afraid to read this list because sometimes they're going to be people who are cut from the movies. And you're going to make fun of me. Um, this one's more reliable. Um, Christopher Lloyd, and, you know, Dean Brooks, Will Sampson, William Redfield. Oh, wow. Scatman yeah, Cruthers. Scatman Crothers? Yeah, of course. Man, if you can move via Scatman Hunter, that would be tempting. You might, oh, you no. might get a bonus point for that. Oh, I think I've got two good options here. Yep. Yeah. Oh, you've already got your play. Okay, well, um, don't tell us. We'll find out next week. Um, let me make a note here. Um, so, via Angelica Houston. Houston. Yes. Uh, who right. I believe was uh, with Jack Nicholson at this time, right? They oh. were together for oh, yeah, a very, very long time, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, so, and, you know, Angelica Houston's dad was a f- famous film director. And she's Of course, that's Hollywood how you, royalty that's how you that. get there. All right, um, well, this is going to be an interesting pick. I This will be a, a fascinating conversation next week. Um, probably not the funniest movie to talk about, but I think we can find something in it. I mean, um, I, I think the, you know, mental uh, institutions across this country before Reagan gutted them, this prime humor. <laughs> and uh, this, is a, this is also fun because it's a famous Portland movie or Oregon yeah. movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Isn't this going to be, I mean, what I, my biggest fear with this is that it's going to be one of those, like, one, it really doesn't hold up. I, so it's kind of will be interesting to talk about that way or two my biggest fear it's going to be as good as people talk about it and next week's just going to be like 
man, it's a good movie. <laughs> yeah, this, this I, is good. I'm, I'm, I bet we'll be able to find something. Um, that'll be really interesting. Okay. Yeah. And well, if we well, did do directors, you know, uh, Milos Foreman directed this, who also directed Man on the Moon with Jim Carrey, but sadly we're not true. doing directors. Uh, we're not doing directors yeah. at the moment. We'll see yeah. if things change. We are going to have to, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the rules. Um, Oh, actually, this would be a good time because this is our, our if we do need to argue about the rules, this is where you do it. So, um, Hunter, you were suggesting yeah. offline that we should have uh, secret hidden powers that we're able to do. Like, for example, that one person is allowed to move via director and the other three people are not. Right. Yeah. So here's here's how this would work. Let me let me expand upon this. This is a proposal. So, There's not yet a rule that's been adopted yeah. by the rules committee. It's just an idea. Yes. So if the if the rules committee will have it. I propose a rule where we are each assigned a secret category that we can travel along. Now, the reason it's secret is because the idea would be that you reveal it when you make your move. We would all continue to move the normal way. But if you somehow get into a position where, wait, I can actually, if I uh, if I reveal my secret power, I can travel and get to my movie... Uh, so if this was like a big tabletop game, which is your specialty, this would be like yeah. you have cards and you could play the I'm going to move via director card and yeah. then here is my move. I'm going to go to um, Man in the Moon. Yeah. So it would just add a little bit of randomness to the game because I think what we've we've already talked about, the game is a little static to where the only way we can imagine ever scoring our points, especially mine, uh, would be to make deals with each other in order to do that. Now I have a I have my own plan of if I can luck into it eventually just torturing you all to yes. the extent where you just hand me the point, which is right. another way you could go about it too. Right. So our options are currently either make a deal or get really angry at Hunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Those it doesn't are... have to be. I mean, you can all try and annoy the other three in order to just get let right. Them yeah, yeah. The the, the, there's a possible move where you annoy people into something, but those mm -hmm. are the this main. Would, this would add a little bit of randomness to that, where suddenly it's like, ah, we didn't know, and then bam, and and it would also it would be mm. the kind of thing where yeah, you could do a bunch of work looking to make sure that there's no overlap with anyone in any department, but why would you do that? You wouldn't do that, so. Yeah, that also I like the I like that we would never do that because it's also like who wants to do that kind of work. Well, th this yeah. is an interesting idea. What would be the things in the in the deck of cards that you could possibly draw? So just any role in the film? No, I would I would think of it by department. Um so uh some there the director power would obviously be pretty good. Maybe actually not that good because it's not a department, huh? Um directing would be a department, sound, editing, uh, oh, you get anyone in sound. Yeah, anyone in yeah. sound. Anyone. Well, so what I, one thing I, I like about this for me and Ezra and a little bit for Anthony and less so for you is mm -hmm. that if we're in the same ballpark time-wise, yep. someone could make the move. Whereas with you, we're just not... It's just going to be difficult to get that far back. No, <laughs> dude, you don't know. I'm. You give me... If I get some other department, because all I'm looking at is old farts... And right, what I'm realizing right, is there are a lot of old farts behind the camera, too. Mm. And I'm trying to get all my farts out there so that I know where my farts are so I can use them, basically. Okay, I'm going to say I was not 
thrilled. I was not like, I didn't quite get it when you first pitched it. And now I kind of like it. Picturing it like a card that's like, I play this and I make this move, I think is pretty solid. Are there any things besides departments that could be a secret power you can do? I mean, I think like, like a, uh, extra moves through actors, like a take four, like Uno Ooh. code type of well, yeah, thing. So, like so you if you could move, moves. that's such a good point. If you could, even just two moves would have gotten me to my movie last week. And I'm right. guessing for a lot of these, we could do it in two, maybe three every time. Mm. Um, Cause you're doing, you're not just doing the, can you get to Jim Carrey in two moves? It's can anyone in this movie get to anyone in this movie in two moves? It's a lot of people you can get. So departments, a bonus number of moves. I, you know, we could also have a card that was like a theme that was like, you can move via theme if you mm. have. So this is a coming of age story. You can move to another coming of age story. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That'd be a pretty I, crazy I would, power, but you could have. Those, I would like, could have like, like the big umbrella and you can go by like production company or studio, like move entirely by like, this is a Warner Brothers movie. Any other Warner Brothers movie. Okay, Just so let's make, so here's what we'll really do. We'll make up a, I think we'll make up a list of powers and then we will like as cards and we'll shuffle them up and each person will draw one. I love mm. it. I think that's fun. I think we'll I think we'll consider doing this. We'll add this complexity. Not in the first let's not right away. Maybe we'll wait a few weeks mm. to see how we're how it's playing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's totally, normal totally. and then we'll add it. But this is a complication that's coming. Um I would love people to write in uh about complications and also what else you'd put in the magic powers cards, because I think that'll be really, yeah. really fun. Speaking of your input, let's get on to the business. Okay, so we got some good uh, feedback in the mailbag today. First up, I want to read an email from Jeff who says, Hi there, enjoying season five so far and wanted to put down my home game pick of a movie you'll wind up on. Jeff is is, is picking The Untouchables from 1987. Yeah, that's cool well, it's a cool yeah. movie. Would be fun to do. Also, an interesting time frame for what we're doing. And I, what I like about this, I made a little, I made a little spreadsheet. So if anybody else writes in with your home game pick, I'll add it to add, mm. add you to it, and you will keep score. It's home game, but I will still keep score for you if we end up on anybody's movies. And um, we we'll give those we talked about points. it a few weeks ago. Last week, I don't remember. Time's weird, but how Untouchables isn't deeply embedded to Battleship Patinkin. The yes. entire final act of that movie is an homage to Battleship Patinkin. Yeah, they're so, trying to help me. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. a magic power is can you move through homage? Yeah, I bet I you like can. that. I like that this a lot. Is, this movie also has a zoom in it, which is an homage to Battleship Patinkin. Yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, so this, this is actually what Jeff says. Is I figure... <laughs> This is exactly what Jeff says. I figure that if you, that if you do make it to Battleship Potemkin, you'll either enter or leave through a rules change that's let, that lets you use the Odessa step scene as a link. So that was exactly the theory mm. of get of how we could get there. So th- so See, I knew the I knew they were going to help me. I knew if I picked something if a, if I picked a really interesting target, everybody was going to be coming out of the woodwork to help Hunter get to his movie. <laughs> this is good. I like your outsourcing your moves. This is very fun. Um, Jeff also says the ranking is eventually going to get unmanageable, but should be fine for a month or so. Um, which, um, brings me to, uh, another point that we got on Twitter, um, from Discordian Stooge, um, who says, uh, this is, a, a, a this is majorly jumping the gun, but I think next season should be you guys inventing and playtesting a tabletop board game just to make up and agree on the rules for an hour every week, which 
I mean, this is sort of Hunter's professional world, so it'd be very uh, easy for you. Mm-hmm. The rest of us would be more like chaos monkeys destroying your hard work. But um, <laughs> I had also said that I thought the rule arguing on the show was going to be kind of unlistenable, to which Discordian Stooge says it can't be worse than the rankings. <laughs> so I guess my my question to you guys, you two, and to the listeners at home, what is the most unlistenable part of the new format? Whoa. Um, I would imagine the part where you insult anyone who supports or likes this show at the beginning is probably pretty unlistenable. <laughs> no, I like that part. That's a good part. I, mean, I like that's not, a, part. that's not a, but that's not ex- um, exclusive to season five. That's been around a while. That is. I'm true. not saying what's the most unlistenable part of the podcast. That's fine. I mean, of the new format. I like God. when we're playing the game. I don't really like the movie talk part. That part can go. <laughs> I like the game part. Who cares about the movie? What do you, what, I mean, what nobody is this? Is here because they really want to hear my insights into film. So that's nobody fair. needs to know about the. Just go. You you like movies, listener? You already know <laughs> movies you like. You don't need us. What do you need us for? Watch us play the game. The game is fun. This is a great point. I agree with you. All right, a couple other quick th- messages I want to read you guys from Twitter. Chelsea says, "What the heck did Jared use to make the coffee?" So. You may recall, Hunter, last week you said that your friend Jared made the greatest cup of coffee you've ever tasted uh-huh. and that he had a lot of equipment. Can we get more uh-huh. clues as to what the equipment looked like? Because Chelsea said it doesn't Uh-oh. sound like a French press or a Chemex. No, no, it wasn't. What was it the was shape of equipment? <laughs> Many pieces? Oh, what kind um, of equipment was it? Uh, uh, so it was not any of those things. Listen, I know uh-huh. about coffee stuff. What I what I'm trying to say, I, I mean I don't know that much about coffee, but I know what those things are. This was not that. I don't know how he made the coffee. I'm sorry. Mm. So I just was don't. It, I guess was I didn't say this be, because I didn't want to go too into coffee nerdery. But since Chelsea has opened the door, um, was it a siphon? What is a, a siphon? siphon? What is a siphon? So a siphon look like? method. It's like it looks like several glass jars on top of each other, held together with wooden pieces, and it uses siphoning to pull coffee through a filter We're yeah go that... through all this and find out it was like a red bull that someone gave no, it that he was it. this is the it best coffee i ever had instant coffee into some milk and gave it to you no i'm just not yeah. very I, I i actually think you might be right because it just looked very strange i don't know and then i remember he used like a tube thing at one part uh that had to do there was like a plunger as well there was a plunger and a tube. Okay, okay wait. So so if it was it, big, then it could be a yeah. siphon. If it was small, you might be talking about an AeroPress. <gasps> that might be it. It may have been an AeroPress. An AeroPress is a plunger in a plastic tube. AeroPress is brilliant. AeroPress makes sort of espresso-style coffee, but with because instead of using steam to produce the pressure, it yeah. just makes a seal on this tube, and then you make the pressure with your arm. Yeah, I think that's I think a, you might be right about the AeroPress thing, but I also remember there being a bigger secondary thing that I did not really understand. The AeroPress, though, love was it if it was a siphon, that would be cr- siphon is the siphon coffee is the one that looks like an evil genius's lab, mm. like it looks like laboratory equipment. Which yeah, I well, like he a lot. he 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 was an evil genius. Like that's how I would describe him. I mean, they yeah. like a lot of them are like specifically evil looking for the delight of it like yeah this is like we look there's no functional reason why it would look this way yeah you have to throw the siphon like you're siphoning gas out of a coat and like get the <laughs> suction going yourself and then spit uh, some of the coffee out and then pour it in a thing is that i a, think so and you have to do it in a thing? parking lot I it think didn't look as fancy as this 
But Whoa, this is fucking crazy, Alex. What did you just send me? That's what I'm saying. So this is a siphon coffee me- method. This is just one on Amazon that came up, but it's just intentionally gaudy and sciencey looking. This is a way you can do siphon coffee. The I'll put a link in the show. part makes me think this is what he was doing, but it might have been that he was doing this with stuff that he made like he like made it work this way oh i mean Instead that would it, be genuinely impressive and also surprising that it was good because that yeah, sounds like it would make good. bad coffee but it, somebody creating their own siphon brewer at home would be pretty interesting okay i mean this um, guy where this is like the most genius guy i've ever known jared and i've known a lot of geniuses in my all time right, one final mailbag <laughs> item from katie on twitter who says kids do in fact drink a ton of iron brew the show is like 80% Iron Brew over the last two years by volume. Scottish cuisine is based on everything is terrible. Unhealthy food will kill you faster. So oh. it makes sense that kids would get into it early. Um, also, Katie points out, it's Burns Night soon, and that means haggis, which is illegal in America, but you can make vegetarian right. haggis, which is legal, de- delicious, and just like the real thing. Wow. Which I have never... There's, I've eaten a lot of vegetarian v- versions of regular food, and haggis is one that would never even occurred to me... I- should be vegetarianized and so katie sent along a recipe that i will include haggis is illegal in america look i don't i have i am confident whenever i tell you something that our listeners have said about scotland that it is true or that they are making me look foolish i know those it's one of those Mm -hmm. two things it's either to get me like, to say something that's obviously not true so i'm embarrassed myself or it's a true fact about haggis that's either way yeah if that's true, I just imagine there's got to be like a black market haggis industry in this yeah. country, right? Yeah. I mean, there's what's that the French thing where that you eat a bird and you put a towel over your head so no one can see you doing the crime of eating this bird? It's like that. Wow, wait, it is banned. This is crazy. Wow, Scotland. <laughs> Ooh, okay, Scot- Scotland's not lying to me or Hunter's in on it. I can never tell. Scotland, you're so spicy. I love Scotland, by the way. Scotland's yeah? the best. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think I agree with that. Um, all right. Well, if you have any um, fun facts about Scotland or Haggis, or you have an opinion about what the most unlistenable part of the show is, or if you want to disagree with our rankings, or if you want to tell us your home game pick of a movie that you want us to get to, please send them along. We're on Facebook and Twitter. And we're also, most importantly, email podcast at readweep.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. And we thank everybody who writes in. That is it for our show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back again next week talking about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest for Anthony's first pick of the season. And then Hunter is going to mo- maneuver from there. And we'll see if he's going to get all the way down to Battleship Potemkin. We'll find Ooh. out next week. I didn't check. Mm. Maybe it's possible. Um, do they both involve the ocean? I don't know. There's got, maybe there's a move. And and please also send us along. I do want to hear more uh, magic powers we could add. Magic powers. Cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we really appreciate you guys all for participating we especially appreciate all of our meat buddies who give us money for no reason and I appreciate you two spending the day with us the day with me hanging out thanks for being here Hunter yeah hey thank you I miss Ezra I I hope Ezra's back next week yeah me too I hope he's doing I mean he's I hope he's doing alright because he's almost certainly going to get sick from his daughter being sick that's how it usually goes Um, I hope you'll be back next week Anthony thanks for talking to us if you outlaw haggis, then only outlaws will have haggis. You know what I mean? Wow, the only one that can exactly stop a you bad mean. haggis or a bad guy with a haggis is a good guy with a haggis. <laughs> only a good guy with a okay. haggis. We'll talk to you next week. Goodbye. Jesus.